So in less than a month, we'll all be celebrating with our families, sharing a holiday meal together at Thanksgiving. And at their best, these holiday meals can be a time of growing closer together as a family, caring for each other and making memories. Uh, And sometimes they can be profound moments of passing on family values to the next generation. When Jesus knew that his life was almost over, he shared a Passover holiday meal with his disciples, which we call the Last Supper. He used this gathering with his closest followers to pass on what was most important to him. He initiated communion as the sacrament of the new covenant, and we'll be participating in that later in this service. He also washed his disciples' feet, and he gave them a really, really important command. Let's take a quick look at what that moment may have looked like. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another. This is what we're going to be talking about in this series, and this really should be the defining quality of Christians across the world. Jesus said, a new command I give you in that moment. And now, this doesn't sound very significant to us, but Jesus is telling his disciples in the upper room that he's about to say something extremely important. When John wrote down his memories from this night, he used a word that meant unprecedented or unheard of. He was about to give them an unprecedented command of God. Jesus is saying, you've heard of the 10 commandments? I'm about to give you number 11. You've heard of the 613 commands in the Torah? This is 614. Here we go. Get ready. This is big. And what does the Son of God want to command his disciples on the night before he is crucified? Love one another. No qualifiers, no limits. Love one another. Jesus is saying to his disciples, Simon, you know how you were plotting a revolution against Rome when I found you? And you remember how Matthew was collecting taxes for the Romans? You guys were enemies, but now you're family. Love one another. And just like the disciples, we're called to let go of our differences and love one another. You know, we're different in many, many ways in this room but we share the most important thing in life, our faith in Jesus. We follow him by loving one another. But what does love look like? How do we do this? Love can be a bit of a vague word in our culture. You know this. Uh, People say, I love my wife. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. I love Star Wars. And really though, Jesus defines for us the way in which we are to love our fellow believers. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So how did he love his disciples? Well, at this very moment, he had just finished washing their feet while wearing the simple clothing of a servant. This was a servant's job, actually. They would wash the the dust and the mud and maybe even little bits of animal waste that got on people's feet as they walked along the dusty roads of Palestine in their sandals. And after this Passover meal that they shared, Jesus was betrayed by one of his followers whose feet he had just washed. He did not resist being unfairly accused, but let the authorities beat him and mock him, and he gave up his life to pay for the sin 
of all mankind, and not just his disciples in that room, but for the Jewish leaders who mocked him, for the Roman soldiers who had no regard for his life. He loved them all with self-sacrificial love. This is how we can love one another, by giving up ourselves and putting others first. And next, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This will be the the flashing neon lights that tell everyone that you follow Jesus if you love one another. He says, if, if we don't love one another, we're contradicting our claim to follow Jesus. When we don't love one another, we're not showing people Jesus. We're missing our opportunity. So Jesus told this to his disciples and they really took it to heart. Around the same time that the apostle John wrote down his account of the Last Supper, he also told the early Christians to love one another six times in his letters. He also pointed to Jesus as the reason for it. He said, we love each other because he loved us first. So because we're loved by him, we can love one another. Because we have this horizontal relationship with God and we know that we can rest in his love, we're secure to love one another. Peter, James, and Paul developed this idea even more, and we have 59 one another commands in the New Testament. So for the next 59 weeks, we're going to be talking about, no, I'm just kidding. We'll touch on some of these one another commands for the next four weeks as we seek to relate to one another in the way that Jesus defined for us and these authors described in more detail. So I want to think about these questions. What should Christian community look like? How does the character of Jesus shape how his followers relate to one another? And what does love one another look like? This series is not a response to any sort of division problem in our church, but it is something that I'd love to see us grow in as a family. We're going to talk about four virtues of Christian community. Depend on one another, encourage one another constantly, accept one another as Christ has accepted each of us, and develop an other's first attitude, which is what we're going to dig into this morning. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church that had issues with loving one another. Philippians is overall a very joyful letter, but he does take some time to teach on putting others first because there's some division in their church family between two women named Euodia and Suntuke, and it's infecting the rest of the church. And here's what Paul wants them to know. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul tells us to put others first, and then he tells us how to do it by having the same mindset, the same attitude as Jesus. Christians should love one another by having an other's first attitude like Jesus. So if we're going to imitate the attitude of Jesus, let's take a look at that. Paul says that Christ's birth and life and death define for us how to put others first. First, we see that Jesus gave up his right to be honored for his greatness. Paul's readers would have known that the emperor Nero wanted to be revered as a god, but Jesus is not like the kings of this world. He takes the opposite approach. He is God, 
He has always been God, and he always has deserved to be honored as God. He deserves to be worshipped by all of the angels for all eternity. He deserves to be praised by every human being on the planet. For by him, everything was created, both in the heavens and the earth. Everything exists because of him. He deserves all the glory and honor and power for all time. And yet, he didn't demand that. He didn't expect that. He gave up his right to be honored for his greatness. He didn't consider his divinity as something to be used for his own advantage. He became human. God became a man. And when he did, people had no idea that he was God. John said that about Jesus, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Even the chosen people of Israel did not recognize him as God. Most of them rejected. Most of them did not notice who he was. He gave up his right to be honored. And if we're going to have the attitude of Jesus, we're going to have to have an approach to life. Like, I will not keep my privileges for myself, but I'll use them for the sake of others. Money, status, knowledge, whatever I have, I'll use it for the benefit of others, even if it costs me. Paul also said that Jesus made himself nothing. He says that Jesus took the very nature of a servant, which is uh, almost certainly an allusion to the Last Supper where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Uh, And here's, here's how it went down. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, important people in that time would hardly ever even eat with their servants. But on this night, Jesus was the servant. The God who created humanity washed the dirt off the feet of doubting Thomas, who in several days would not believe that Jesus was resurrected until he saw it for himself. Jesus washed the feet of Peter, who would deny him three times that same night. He washed the feet of Judas, who was about to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. These guys didn't deserve it, but Jesus showed his love for them by washing their feet. Um, And some Christian communities actually do this as a practice, just to um, reflect what Christ has done to serve one another. Jesus was so obedient to Father God that he gave up his life. He was not proud, but he surrendered his own will. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And he gave up his life for you and me. Jesus placed no limits on how much he would put others first. He loved us so much that he allowed the soldiers to arrest him without a fight. He loved us so much that he let the Roman guards mock him and beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head. He loved us so much that he submitted to the crucifixion, and his death set us free from sin. He put others first. But it was not without cost. And in his case, it was extreme pain, humiliation, and death. And the cost for us to put others first is usually way less than that. But it does cost us something, you know? We might have less money or less time or more stress in our life. But as Christians... Those things aren't our goal. Our goal is to be faithful to Jesus. And that's the cost, that's worth the cost that we pay for putting others first. Now this morning you might be thinking, okay, everybody knows it's the right thing 
to put others first. So why are we talking about this this morning? Most of us here would say, yeah, of course, all right, I know that's what we should do. And then we walk out the doors and we continue making selfish choices all day long. We aren't able to do it because maybe we aren't aware when we are putting ourselves first. So because we're not always aware of this, we're going to talk this morning about three obstacles to putting others first. Uh, These are three things that block us or blind us from being able to put others first. And the, the first obstacle is pride. In a lot of ways, pride is the root of all sin, all types of sin. And we all have at least a little pride. It's part of human nature. But as natural as it may be, Paul tells us to avoid it. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Paul uses a word we translate as selfish ambition. It basically means partisanship or dividing people in order to obtain power. Because pride seeks power. It says, not your will, but mine be done. It wants to be in control. A proud person doesn't mind if others are hurt as long as they get their own way. And Paul also mentions conceit because pride seeks recognition. It wants to be admired and famous. A proud person doesn't mind if others are ignored as long as they get all the glory. In Romans 12, uh, Paul encourages the church to honor one another above yourselves, but our pride keeps us from doing that. Have you ever caught yourself um, like looking down on someone in your thoughts? I know, I know I've done this before, and that's pride. You know, maybe you, someone um, walks into the area where you are, they're a stranger, and you, you look at them, you begin to assess them, and then you begin to judge them. Uh, maybe you look down on them because of their looks, or their clothing, or their social group. You've got to take those thoughts captive and replace them with thoughts that love and value those people. That person is made in the image of God. That person is loved by God. Pride keeps us from putting others first, but humility is what allows us to do that. Humility serves others. Jesus demonstrated that when he washed the disciples' feet. A humble person is not above doing menial tasks to show love for someone else. Humility honors others. A humble person doesn't need to have the spotlight, so they have room in their heart to honor others and recognize them. Humility obeys God at all costs, like Jesus. When our ego is smaller, we're more apt to to submit to God. Humility says that obeying God's will for me is more important than getting my own way. So if pride is this big obstacle, then how do we become humble? How do we think of ourselves less? Um, Andy Stanley talked about this in one of the What Happy Couples Know videos. Some of our groups have been going through these, um, and he said this. Some of you might remember this. He said, if you want to make a humble choice, ask yourself, what would a humble person do? And then do it. Because we don't always think of ourselves as humble. But if you start doing what a humble person does, you'll become humble. As you make that choice over and over again, it will change you and you'll become that kind of person. Okay, so the second obstacle to putting others first is busyness. It's very common in our culture. It's very subtle. And I, I mean, I have a busy life. Do you have a busy life? We all do. And sometimes it's inevitable, but we actually have a little bit more control over this than we often realize. How does this work? How does busyness come between us and putting others first? Well, to put others first, you have to actually pay attention to their needs. 
And when you are running around at a million miles per hour, you don't actually pay attention to other people's needs. Just as a, a microcosm of this, this morning Morgan's battery died on his guitar, and so I was going to get him a new battery. And when I did that, I, I was rushing. I zipped through all the people, zipped back to Daphne's office, got a battery, zipped back. I zipped right by a whole bunch of you this morning because I was busy. I was focused on what I was doing. And just in one moment. But in, in our life, on the whole, if we do that, if we max out our schedules on our own things, we miss out on putting others first because we don't see their needs. Um, I realized as I was preparing this that, uh, you know, I don't do this myself as much as I should. You know, it's worse when I'm busy. And it takes the work of the Spirit to make me more and more concerned with the needs of others, the people around me, than myself. At my house, uh, my wife and I, we like to watch football games. And we have two toddlers, so it's complicated. We, we, uh, we try to get them really pumped for the game, like right as it's starting. We'll, we'll uh, just get them really, really excited. And their excitement lasts about two minutes. That's about it. And they get distracted with other things. And then they eventually start to feel ignored because we're not paying attention. Uh, and maybe they'll say to me, Daddy, play with me. And normally I'd be all about it, but I'm so locked in to my thing that I brush them off. I put myself first, and I don't even realize it right away. Uh, a couple of weeks ago during a football game, I actually did realize what I was doing. And I stopped, and I, I took a moment to play with my three-year-old for like 10 minutes during the game, and she just lit up from all the attention, just, just her and daddy, and she loved it. And I would have missed out on that moment, having that moment with her if I had been focused on my own needs. Now, if I'm too busy, I don't notice. When my friend from Connect Group that I just walked by at church was looking distraught and needs someone to talk to. If I'm too busy, I don't notice that my wife could really use a break from the kids. If I'm too busy, I don't notice the homeless man on the side of the road who could really use something to eat. Busyness blinds us to the needs of others. So as you organize your life, leave a little margin in your schedule. Leave a little room in your life to notice other people's needs and to help them to meet those needs. I think that another one of the biggest obstacles to putting others first is called worry. Why won't we make choices that put others first? Often it's because we're worried that our needs won't be met. You know, if I use my time to meet their needs, will I have enough time to take care of my own needs? If I give them this money, will I have enough for me? If we trust God to meet our needs, we're free to put others first. We don't need to guard our own things so closely. We don't need to be anxious about our needs. We can imitate Jesus more easily when we trust him to meet our needs. During his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us not to worry about our needs. He said that God cares for us much more than a sparrow or a flower, and yet he takes care of their needs. And Jesus says this, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God. Follow the example of Jesus and put others first. God will take care of your needs. There is no need to worry. You can put others first. 
So we talked about three obstacles to putting others first. There may be more, but pride, busyness, and worry can definitely prevent us from loving one another well. And maybe some of you are feeling, feeling like, okay, Josh, I, I get that it's important to put others first, but I just don't think that's practical or even possible for me. I, I, like you said, I don't realize it when I'm putting myself first. It seems too difficult to change. And you know, although our will and effort are important, those aren't the only things that bring change in our life. God is at work in us, and he will give us what we need to do this. God will give you both the desire to put others first and the ability to put others first. Paul said it this way, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul said that you should work hard and that God is working in you. And God doesn't just give you the desire to obey him, but he gives you the power, the ability to do it. God has given you everything you need to put others first. Rely on him to help you break through all of these obstacles that are keeping you from doing it, from putting others first. So this morning, I hope that some of you have realized, maybe in some areas of your life, that you haven't been putting others first. If it was a specific moment recently, um, you know, maybe you could go and apologize to the person who was affected by your choice. Go to them and say, I'm sorry, I put myself first in that situation. I should have cared more about what you wanted. Maybe if it's a recurring thing in one specific part of your life, you need to change your plans to restructure your life in some way. Maybe your finances say, me first, and you're not giving hardly anything away. Maybe your schedule says, me first, and you don't have time to love others because your schedule's full of me time. Maybe it's your parenting that says, me first, or it's how you act at work. Pray about it and make a change to put others first in that part of your life. And if that isn't you, maybe you just need to hear that God sees you putting others first, and he'll take care of you. Maybe you're a young parent reorganizing your entire life to put your child first. Maybe you're caring for an aging parent and you're putting them first over your own needs. Maybe a friend or a spouse doesn't reciprocate when you put them first. I want you to know this morning that God sees you, God loves you, and you're showing the attitude of Jesus to the people around you. God is with you. He knows what you need. So don't stop putting others first. And as you do this, he'll give you everything you need. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you put others first. You loved us so much that you gave up your life for us. We come to you this morning, Lord, and we say, give us the desire and the ability to put others first. Lord, help us to notice the needs of others. Transform our hearts. Make us more like you. We thank you so much for your deep love for us, that we can love one another because of the work that you have done in us. You have showed us your love. You have put your spirit in us. Lord, and we thank you that you are with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.